The following program may contain content not suitable for all audiences. The visual side of that was so much worse. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, and another thing. There is not a server in the world that has little Jacob's lightnings of lightning running up and down them. But it you is really popular in 80s and 90s movies that feature servers. I'm yes. not going to And lie. actually, that's how servers were in the 1880s. So. Um, it didn't exist in the 1880s. <laughs> and I totally meant to I'd hit really on the fact that... I'd really hate it if some hacker came up and pegged into my server. Ooh. <laughs> Never oh. do that again. Oh, my God. <laughs> that's a meme. That's a current meme. That's hackers unfortunate. Kind of a, <laughs> hacker's kind of a gaming archetype. Source. Depending playing, on the type of game, yeah. I was going to say, especially well, if you're playing Shadowrun. That's going to say, yeah. that's a skill game, but that's a skill-based character. <laughs> that's going to say, I mean, yes and no, right? Because mm-hmm. they, they do play a specific role in that, but what would be the analog? But their skills translate directly into combat stats inside the system. But it, in essence, the support character is, is that, the same is thing really as the hacker. what they are? That's what I would say, yeah. That's what they run, like the bard. Okay. Oh, good lords. Well, now a hacker, though, in... I mean, n- not specifically talking about Shadowrun. The hacker falls the, in the, the road category. Still. I'd say that the hacker category is going to be the person that's running back end where they're trying to divert attention. So I would actually argue rogue, yeah. Yeah, they do the, the rogue bard thing where they, they buff up the party, they give them special advantages, and they get them into places. Although, you're rogue, although rogue is more of a DPS character constructively, Can as we've be. seen. Yeah. Well, okay, a lot depends on your basic framework because... We break down the characters into these roles by class. You know, we talk about DPS, tanking, whatever, support. Those are all combat roles. Yeah. If your game yeah. is mostly combat-oriented, then that's how you're going to categorize things. But if you're running a game that has very little upfront combat or the upfront combat is not a main focus of the game... If you're doing heist, That stuff's not as significant. Every conflict is not a battle. Right. In fact, if you actually end up in combat, you've already failed your primary objective in that kind of game. And in a heist, yeah. A lot of yes. times. Yep. You've got to knock them out and point. move on. Well, I, I, I'm trying to think of some examples here because, you know, we, we play a lot of D&D and that's very, I mean, it's a combat built game. Yes. You can do an unending number of other things with it. And I feel like the system is robust, robust enough to support your decision to, even if it doesn't give you a lot of crunchy rules revolving around But the fact that over 50% of the things on your character sheet are there specifically for dealing with combat kind of tells you what the focus of the game, game is. Game right, yeah, yeah. yeah. So in, in that context, we have, we've had games that were like high scenarios and stuff like that in D&D, though. We've had games, we've had, well, we've had you know, games where it was more about social um, you know, interactions, engagements, and challenges, and, and more about skill challenges and stuff, definitely. But those, game, those sessions tend to have a relative scarcity of dice rolls, for example, compared sometimes, to... Sometimes. If it's a lot of skill-based stuff, obviously. Well, still compared to combat. You know, and, if you're talking about actual like, numbers here, you're, right. you're rolling a lot more dice in combat than most anything else you're doing. I mean, <laughs> That's because naturally. combat likes to be crunchy. Well, and, and combat engages everybody at kind of the same level, right? So, you know, when you're doing other things in a game, people will have their own, their characters doing their own part in that story, whatever it is. Sometimes uh, focused on a single activity, sometimes focused on several activities that work towards a, a goal, hopefully. Mm-hmm. But with combat, usually it comes down to, okay, combat has started, now everybody is in on this one thing, this scene that's going on, this scenario, this issue where we're going to have to start swinging swords and spells. Well, and a lot of ways it boils down to the way the system is designed. Uh, because non-combat dice rolls exist, in they, they only have pass or fail. That's pretty much it. Right. In combat, 
there are nuances. You know, you succeed at hitting because him. Because people don't. Even- but now you determine how much damage you did, and until you beat the threshold of this guy's total hit point pool in terms of damage, you haven't won yet. People don't enjoy. It's not just pass or fail. Wouldn't enjoy playing combat where you're like, okay, I attacked this guy. All right, you roll off to see who won the battle. Right, exactly. On the other hand, you could do a hacking thing where you rolled an individual series of things to get through the thing and the defenses rolled against you and you well, rolled back and forth. And yes, there are true. systems that have more shades of gray than that with everything. Exactly. Especially systems that do like, so, you know, you failed, but you get something for your effort or you succeed, but there's a there consequence. There are gradations, yeah. Um, that's or games exactly like like the Apocalypse World hacks, where you have uh, you 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 get the the high number, you accomplished exactly the thing. You hit the mid number, you accomplish something that's kind of halfway there, you know, stuff like that. You still get what you want, but right. of course, in D anD D, skills were always a secondary thing. They really didn't even exist until the second combat edition. Yeah, there were just point, non-combat proficiencies in second edition. Before that, you didn't even have that much uh, because it wasn't a thing. They're combat things. <clears throat> Jason just woke up. <laughs> I, I never heard the welcome, so I didn't there realize we one. were going. Yeah, we're doing soft open. Soft open. Yeah. Uh, we're still in hey, the soft right. open. This sorry. is a long soft sorry, open. Sorry. Sorry. Uh, uh, welcome to Prismatics. Uh, no, was it? Metagamers Anonymous. Uh, program dedicated to tabletop problem games, most suitable to semantic. Uh, yeah, that stuff. Semantic um, components. Clarity um, of speech. <laughs> Come on, man. Oh, gosh, you <laughs> a presentation so of Asamtees.shop. No, Prismatic Tsunami. <laughs> uh, my name is Eric. I'm Jason. I'm Rich. Vanessa? And I'm the kid. There you go. If I say anything that they've already said during the soft open, I apologize. I wasn't paying attention. <laughs> You're fine. At all. You're fine. Totally just, cool, man. Totally I just, cool. I just snuck in the recording because we're already having the conversation. So yeah. you guys should have seen the stuff we didn't get recorded. And I'm yeah, so you'll never sorry. know what you missed because yeah, I'm a moron. Uh, so what are we going to do with the show? Well, let's talk about it for 20 minutes. Oh, yeah. I so now you know, just been re- on the show. So now you know, just record everything. Yeah, and yeah. You'll have to, just I a monster s- of editing. But I you still believe the money thoroughly, tubes. though. Um, <laughs> Take the money tubes. Uh, that if I said something like, you know, your primary roles, like whacker, whacker, thump, thump, or something <laughs> like that, would still get a reaction from <laughs> Vanessa. Thumper, thumper fighter. Uh, okay. <laughs> They'll still get a reaction from Vanessa. It's <laughs> so, and then to be fair, there are systems we play, and I know, kid, you haven't done a lot of the more contemporary systems. That's true. Um, haven't had a chance yet, but like Savage Worlds, we play a lot of I where the combat. Worlds. I mean, there's more to it still, but the basic approach to combat is conversant with all the other skills in the game. Yes, it is a skill you're rolling, a fighting skill mm-hmm. in in you and know trying to beat the a number. Distinction is a lot less obvious there. Consequentially, yeah. You know, like I was saying in D&D, you can tell that it's built around the idea of combat because the, the dynamic systems you use in combat are so much more nuanced you're, than anything outside of it. You're doing six-second slices in combat, and you're doing a thing that takes like a minute to take to right. do as a skill and rolling a single die, and you're but, done. But if your in interest, if your intention is to represent everything as being fair game for that kind of detail it's not impossible to do the system just isn't designed to support it so you kind of have to build your own infrastructure to make that happen well in a game like savage worlds the infrastructure is already there you can choose where to put your focus and get into sure. that level of detail with anything combat sure. politics music what but again you. again i would argue that and i'm, I'm successful i know with you guys that you can't it, it's not that you can't do those things with any game you know? That's true. That's and kind of what we I have a lot of D and D games that, and you're right. Obviously, it's, you're not rolling as many dice. 
it's more or less a question of whether the system is there to support that or whether it's in your way. But you can do what you want with any system if that's what matters to you. What is the so so what is the equivalent? I guess with what we're talking about with hackers, for example, we'd be talking about rogues, like you said. And rogues do plenty of non-combat-y things. They're actually one of the best characters oh, yeah. in non-combat-y things, They're a support right? thing. I think most They're of their combat character. was always put in to make them more useful once the fight starts. That's, because you don't want to have a rogue that's worthless all once of the it. combat starts. I wish I could remember where I found it. But there was a discussion that I saw that was just absolutely fascinating to me. Because they were positing that you could represent anything that anyone from any class does. And to be fair, this was in the days of 3rd edition D&D. But that you could represent anything that any class does with just a rogue, that you could make the entire game using nothing but the rogue class to represent all of the different skills and abilities and everything that every, everyone does. And I kind of lost the thread of where I was going with that. Well, it depends on a lot of the options. Same, it wouldn't have the same proficiencies, though, unless yeah, you skilled it out that way. It's like a well, straight and I fighter think that, still going to fight better. I think that the point of that was that the rogue is, in fact, I think that's what it started as, is that the rogue is the most... Uh, has the most open design space in its concept so out of all of points. the base classes. Okay. Now, and that's because it was specifically, you're talking about third edition, right. it was very much a skill-based character. Mm-hmm. So when they said, so okay, funny. here's the thing that each of these character, these linchpin class constructs do well, fighters are good at fighting, clerics are good at clericking, wizards are good at wizarding, rogues are good at skill-based shit. This is what we do. We give them all the skill points that nobody else has. We, you know, and, that, and that was their focus. Which in fact, the support if role. not, like Richard was just saying, if they hadn't given them sneak attack, you know, they actually would have lost <gasps> most of their combat top-notch effectiveness. And that's even better in 5th. The sneak attack is, is so well, useful. But well, another part of that is that so much of a character's abilities in 3rd edition uh, came from their equipment. That is true. And the rope was true. the one class that could be designed to use any use piece any of equipment for use any magic class. device stuff. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. But it also comes down to, so with rogues, <laughs> Rogues being a utilitarian, we need a rogue because we're going to have traps, we're going to have secret doors, we're going to have all these things that we need a rogue to do the rogue actual things for. Mm-hmm. But you got the th- you already have the thing where people are like, I don't want to play the healer, then I just sit around healing things, I want to fight things. And they actually buffed up fight, uh, clerics to make them more fighty too, but... Um, the and rogues had to have the ability to too. fight and in, engage in combat, because if they just hid for the entire combat... You're like, why yeah, do I have to play the rogue? So somebody has to play the rogue so that we can get through the traps. But when we're in combat, I'm just sitting there watching y'all roll dice, and I'm just sitting here twiddling my thumbs. And for hack and slash type players, 80% of your game session is going to be combat. So no one wants to be that player who's stuck sitting there for five of your six hour of session waiting and for a chance to do something. In my mind, that's 90% of the reason why rogues are DPS is to give them an ability to engage in a crunchy system. And again, you could take it out of there. I mean, you could swap that feature out with something else if you want a character that wasn't specifically focused on being better in combat than other people. But your character would definitely lose utility when it came to draw You're throwing down the initiative when dice. The swords come out. Okay, so yeah. I have to ask the dumb question. What, I don't remember what DPS stands for. Damage, Damage, Damage per, per second. Okay, thank you. It's a it's a <laughs> video game construct that we pulled back into the game because we don't actually do damage per second. Right. We do damage per round yeah, or whatever. But yeah, yeah, yeah. So what are the what are the I'm damage, per, now, damage per strike? There we go. What are the uh, what are those elements that I mean? You have your tanks, your DPS, and DPS can be broken down into strikers, nukers. But yeah, you well, have tanks, AOE. DPS, healers, yeah. or support. Ranged in melee, either basically, uh-huh. and then and support then controllers, yeah. which don't necessarily fit into the, any of those other categories. Their job is to 
basically shape the encounter to their team's advantage. They can consist of buffers, debuffers. Fourth edition D&D actually focused on that really keenly. They actually called the wizard the controller type, and Mm -hmm. they they were battlefield effectors. Fourth edition was a video game with dice and paper. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Fourth edition was World of Warcraft. I mean, I'm sorry, but there it is. I never uh, played 4th edition. I never played World of Warcraft. I'm lying. I probably would have enjoyed 4th <laughs> edition. <laughs> it, it, was, um, it was a great uh, combat. It even had cooldowns. I mean, come on. It, it was a great combat system. I mean, that's, that's all it was, is unfortunately. It, it really gave the light of what I'm saying about how you can do anything with anything. Because in 4th edition, even though they had some cool stuff with like skill challenges and stuff, it tried to systemize some more things. But it really made you feel like anything you tried to do other than combat was relatively unsupported. Mm-hmm. And that, that actually was kind of a faux pas. 5th edition kind of put more of that back into the game. No and wonder I, people hated Force. Oh, yeah. And I think, well, <laughs> that, wasn't, that wasn't the only thing. Uh, I, I don't think we should make a show about that. But that okay. was the only thing. The other thing that really bugged me about 4th was the siloing of character talents. Because on paper, all of the characters pretty much were the same. Mm-hmm. It was just kind of like flavor that made them different. Which, like which it's the opposite of what we It'd like. be like it's it's in a way though it's it's just like playing like games like uh, the like um, MMOs mm-hmm. where you have a you see if you're playing a warrior in an MMO you have a button for your sword strike right mm-hmm. if you are playing a wizard you have a button for your fire strike they're the same button yeah and they do basically the same thing you know one of them maybe sure. does at a distance or whatever but they do a they do a amount of damage which if they're of a similar level of ability is probably a similar level of damage. Yeah, I mean, there's variables. But in, in 4th edition DD, they're very much like, well, basically we have the fighter being able to cast the uh, I swing a sword spell and the wizard being able to cast the I throw a magic missile spell and, and their magic missiles weren't even automatic hits because they were making everything more equitable. And the cleric you know? can cast the holy smite spell and, and what have you. Now, all that being said, it's not like that stuff completely went away. It's just that we opened the field a little bit again in 5th. And one of the ways they did that was they took a lot of the rule crunch that the players had adopted completely into their own level of agency and reverted it back, which is started with third edition and referred it, reverted it back to the DM's wheelhouse. And so the game master had a lot more control over the success and fluidity of the game again. And so that matters, you know, that matters. You have a very different feel of game at that point. And of course that's more reminiscent of the early games that I played when I was younger where the player's handbook was 127 pages and the DM's guide was 5,000 pages thick, you know, <laughs> because that's, that's where the rules were. <laughs> but I'm here to tell a story. If I wanted to roll dice and go around the board and fill spaces, I'd pull out a board game. I have yeah, those two and Monopoly. I enjoy them equally. Well, they are not the same said thing. game. You know, Monopoly is just an exercise in frustration. Oh, God, don't even get me you started on Monopoly. You played the same Monopoly that I have. So. That's why. That's why, kid, you can't play it with other people and they have any, anything other than, not by the rules. My hardest time with Monopoly is like, I never know exactly when's the right time to flip the table. Um, it, after, it's, uh, it's after you set up the game. After all of time. the pieces are on there and you've made it around the board completely once. Oh, see, I, that's why I thought I always wait too long because I know after three hours it just seems ridiculous. Oh, God. I thought it was when you go directly to jail and do not pass go and do not collect $200. No, that's but after I like you've it rolled, in jail because yeah, when you're you in jail, you don't have to pay times. for the proper <laughs> landing on the properties. I thought it was the second time you hit Park Place. But, I lived after someone's get, purchased it. <laughs> I lived to go to well, jail the first time because when I'm in jail, I'm not paying rent. Uh, 
but you're still collecting income from your properties. Mm-hmm. The problem is if you don't own any properties, you're not getting any more while you're in jail and everyone else is snapping up that hot real estate. There's not going to be anything That's left. That's why I'm a slumlord and I have the first two properties on the board every time. Uh, Baltic Avenue and... If you go to jail I, I at the very of those... beginning of the game, you are SOL for the yeah. rest yeah. of the you're, game. You're screwed. <laughs> it's over. That's when you flip the board. Right there, we've identified the, the point in time. Fair. Call. Fair, fair. I we get have, it. We have... Okay, we've... we've we defeated Monopoly. But we understand now. See, <laughs> when I played Monopoly, it was a cutthroat Wall Street trading kind of environment. That's what it's supposed to be. That, 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 is, that is the way Monopoly is supposed to work. I was going to say. It, if you play it with a, like on a computer game, which actually is a great way to play Monopoly. If you want to play it, it's a great game when you're playing against oh, a computer. Oh, no. yeah. Yeah, because yeah. then it, it obeys all the rules and it does all the other turns instantly. So exactly. you can sit there and so much faster. But you can't scam the computer. You right. can't you can't back out of a deal with a computer. You can't negotiate with a computer. You, you shouldn't back out of a deal the with, with, with people. The rules. What are you of the talking game, about? The You're not playing the, the same Monopoly. I'm the playing. rules of the game don't support all that. That's the point. The rules you know? are only there to make it a game. They're not meant to be followed. Jason, what bad at games? What do you think? I hate Monopoly. Just checking. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I I think it is the worst of the elimination-based games. Thank you. And the only good That's games result in half the people sitting there not enjoying themselves for the better part of the game. There you go. I have three different versions of Monopoly. I've played each one of them one whole time. This is why I only ever play Monopoly with my enemies. I like the electronic banking well, that version. that actually kind of supports our... <laughs> argument anyway. Now, I will say that I've played Monopoly a good many times, often with only three people, and I usually am not the first person eliminated, so it's like the one of the reasons I played it as long as I did is because it wasn't a group game. But when I grew up, and it's like, you've got eight people, you've got Everybody can play Monopoly. See, we can play up to eight people. Yay. What Kid is describing is a little like playing Trivial Pursuit and somebody starts making up their own questions. <laughs> That's true. That's Aww. my favorite way to play Trivial Pursuit. Hey, see what I mean? Okay, these are not role-playing games. That's actually the point. What, what are you talking about? <laughs> of course the role-playing games. You have a Trivial Pursuit with my father. Trivial Pursuit. <laughs> uh, I feel like my point is lost. Let's go back to systems that are actually ostensibly intended for role-playing. Okay, fine. Um, which I, I I argue includes D and I guess some people actually have very different opinions about that. But are that's there the any thing. games that aren't role playing games? Yes, <sighs> I don't know about that. Checkers. No, I can definitely. No, no, it's a field of okay, things attacking okay, 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 each okay. other and hopping <laughs> over. Each is this a serious them. question? Let's. Actually, we can explore by. Of, yeah. You have to define your terms. What is a role playing game? And if I have to, I can't believe I had to say that out loud on the two hundred and. 70th episode of fucking Metagamers Anonymous. I can't either. A role-playing Language. game is a game in which you play a role. I think that's a little too vague. And we no, don't get no tolls, we don't get no roles. No, a role-playing game is a game that focuses on role-playing. It is not a game where you play a role, because then you could call Monopoly a moving-the-car game. Ooh, I could call going-to-work a role game. What if you're a thimble? It's a moving-the-playing-piece <laughs> game. <laughs> You know, the point is, it's just not, it's not something that you just do in the game because you, if you're going to argue that you can choose to elicit playing a role as a part of any gaming experience you have, I'm not going to argue against that because A, I believe you, and B, it's immaterial. They're not games that are designed with that in mind. They're not games that are made to support that. 
any more than D&D is made to support ballroom dancing. Now, that doesn't mean I'm not going to have the occasional ballroom dancing sequence in my D&D game and have. If you only do things in any game that the game is designed to support, I would posit that you're missing out on more opportunities than you're enjoying. Signing up for auto insurance is a role play game because you have to pretend like you're an actual good driver. <laughs> well, no, I it's mean, a bluffing game. I would argue with you on that one. Actually, I, I it's was a bluffing say, game. If you have to pretend. <laughs> But Just we, can sit this, here in the Gus is an academic argument, isn't it? <laughs> but again, that would be like saying, in that sense, in that sense, um, that that would only apply if D and D is a ballroom dancing game. You know, if I'm ballroom dancing occasionally in my D and D game, I'm not missing out on the ballroom dancing. Similarly, if I'm role playing occasionally in a game that isn't designed for it, I'm not missing out on the role playing. But it's not a role playing game. Meh. Okay, I think I won. <laughs> I would agree that it, not all games are role-playing games. You can play a role in any game, but not all games are role-playing games. I would suggest further that the reason that this is important to me, that the distinction is important to me, is because it distinguishes the precise motive behind our hobby. Because I define role-playing in a more specific fashion. I have elements of the role-playing experience that are more important to me as a gamer than others are. And certain experiences are going to support that while others detract from it. And I'll be fighting it the whole time if that's what I want to do. Okay. And I'm not talking about playing Monopoly as a role-playing game, obviously, at that point. Not everyone who's playing a role-playing game is there to tell a story. Correct. But everyone who's playing a role-playing game is involved in a story that's being told. But a storytelling game is a different kind of game. We actually know people that write story games. You would not really honestly refer to them as role-playing games, despite the fact that you play a role as a function of the game. That's what I was going to say. I'm in the process of writing up a game system based around my... I'm trying to get away from the word one-shots, but my little systems I created that were simple to play, but they're more improv than they are role-play. I'm still using RPG in the name because it's like makes it relatable, but it's still more of an improv system. Okay. Because you, even though you build a character and you play a role, and that's heavily the game, it's not a role-play game in the standard sense. If, if we standardize it in some fashion. I think that defining the terms is necessary in any conversation about it because... The broad definition is almost too broad, like like we were just talking about. Role-playing game just leaves too much to the imagination because we could all, if we really tried, define role-playing to ourselves and end up with different definitions. Unless yes. you just try to bake it back to the absolute basics, and the absolute basics aren't enough of an experience for me. That is the entire reason I started a podcast that talks about immersive play, because I'm not necessarily in it for just role-playing, if that makes sense, at least in any kind of... Tr- non-committal kind of way i guess just like you have different archetypes of players and I you'll see this middle type of player yeah yeah yeah, definitely yeah you know them <laughs> i would presume so or the ones that ought to be committed the uh, <laughs> some the, the, of us were once the process okay. of uh of exploring what a game can do for you is important to determining its value as part of your ongoing and 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 we all in this room for the most part i would guess we all prefer a game that allows us to explore characterization and story in long form you know one shots are fine one shots can be fun i i like to build a character persona roll through it enjoy it for a few hours and create another one okay everybody except richard would prefer because you know we talk about immersive play and I feel like my definition requires you to be able to immerse into a character who develops over time and experience. 100% agree. I, I just, uh, my only thing is I only have so many times I get to play 
And so if over the course of a year I play three characters because I'm in three games, I feel limited because I want to experience other characters. You're not killing but Richard enough. I love often storytelling. <laughs> yeah, why is he killing your characters? That's so backwards. I, I, what, I, I have one it. that didn't die at third level this time. Mm. We're working on it. We're going to try and figure out how to tw- kill you twice in six. Thanks. I still have a backup character built for that game. Me too. <laughs> But, uh, I mean, if that's a priority for you in gaming, to shove um, a higher number of character experiences into a shorter period of time, then we obviously aren't looking for the same thing in a role-playing game. Yeah, Yeah, I I mean, that's that's one of the things. That's where I've been doing other things. Make a character with a death wish. It'll make it easier. Cute. There are an almost (laughs) unlimited number of axes that you can measure this on, but on that particular one, I'm about as far on the other end of the spectrum from Richard as you can get. in a one-shot game, I'm interested in playing with the system and seeing what it can do, but I'm not interested in my character. I'm not really interested in the story because there's no chance for those to go anywhere for me. To me, a one-shot experience is typically a kind of an improv exercise, like Rich was talking about with his game, because I'm developing a character that is a set of traits that I'm then expressing in the course of the game, and I'm more interested usually in having fun, so I'm going to do things that are more elaborate or expressive in order to have fun in that time. Oh, yeah. Knowing that it has no carriage beyond that. For well, the most part. having fun is always on the table when I'm sitting at a table, but the, right. the form that fun takes is really where the question lies. And for me, developing a character and ex- experiencing their evolution is the top tier of my experience. Sure. I feel that you might need to restate how when you're at a one shot, it's for fun as opposed to your normal gaming experience, because <laughs> I don't see that a makes with it that. sound like your normal experience is not fun. And I do find fun in the long haul. You, what you inferred from that was not what I was intending to imply, obviously. I did not intend to imply that regular gaming is not fun. I'm intending to imply that I do regular, the, my regular standard campaign play for very different reasons, and fun is only one of a number of them. Okay. Whereas I, I, it sits at the top of the bowl on a, on a, in a one-shot game. Uh, it's just like there using, to have a good time. I like using one-shots to explore systems. That's part of why Tsunami and, caught. I did seven different systems. And I appreciate that. <laughs> I, I appreciate that. That's why we did the uh, Friday night thing we did last I year super for a while. I wish we could do more of that. Um, which uh, I, I'd be happy to help get it on the air. I just can't commit to it. The whole process of exploring games and what we can do with them is, is part of what we've, you know, we, we've definitely built kind of an element of our community around that. And I don't ever want to denigrate that because I like actually writing and running one-shot games, too. I've enjoyed that at the cons. And here's the other thing about that. When I talk about my gaming experience, I think it's important to go ahead and remind you guys that I'm a lifelong game master. So the number of characters I play that Richard plays at a year are the number of characters I may play to my entire gaming career. And I've been gaming for well over 30 years. You know, I cannot... Um, my, my friend Jim Pinto is uh, running a podcast, starting a podcast. I don't know if he started it yet. That's a pretty much a tell, you about, tell me about your character podcast where he gets a guest on and they talk about, they pick their favorite character to talk about and they, they, they tell them all about that character. Nothing beforehand and just talk about it because he just wants to soak up some of that what I love about my character experience with this, this character this month. That's cool. I think it's pretty cool. He wanted me to participate. I'm struggling. I, it's not because I can't pick from the hundreds of characters I've played. <laughs> it's because I can't 
remember the half a dozen characters I've played in the last six years. Shay was the only one I could come up with. That's just because I say I enjoyed Shay and she does have some depth to her. Yeah. Yeah. But I I don't necessarily know if I'd have a whole lot to talk about her with. I mean, I think maybe I would. I would have if we were still playing her and she was in my head, you know, but she's kind of a set of traits that um, I really enjoyed exploring and had a, I mean, she did fit the immersive play need for me to, to the point where I was exploring her development, her, her, uh, place in the story, her development. But I, again, I'm a game master and I can't stop looking at it that way, right? So I look at story development a lot from the outside. I look at drama from the outside. I look at narrative from the outside. And so I'm as likely to improv during a session as I am to plot out how my character thinks and feels about things. And it's kind of a challenge. At the end of the day, though, I enjoyed the characters. I enjoy making characters. Sometimes I want to play different characters. And maybe I should be better about if I don't have a character that's important maybe i should find an opportunity to switch it out not just keep rolling with it because that's the one i'm rolling with the party because if i enjoy switching a character out maybe that's what i should work on more that's legit i i used to be really bothered by that i can be really bothered about it if i'm the game master and i am really spinning a story around the characters like if you had come through like when you were playing mama june if you'd come to me two months into the game and said i don't i'm tired of playing her i want to bring somebody else in I would have torn my hair out for a week trying to figure out how to make that happen. On the other hand, I was really focused on her. Right. Now, don't get me wrong. I mean, actually, even going back to just our Tuesday game, I'm playing a bard in there. I was originally playing this barbarian cat person. Mm-hmm. Really fun, really expressive. He was, I enjoyed playing him greatly. Between him and when I created the bard because he died, and I was totally fine with that, I probably created about eight characters that I could have replaced him with. Yeah. And you just picked Jackson or you just... Uh, no, he he was just a weird inspiration because I, I saw the Eloquence Bard and I liked it. And uh, I'm like, I get to play the total face character, which goes back to my love of Dirk Benedict uh, and the A-Team. Mm. Nice. Which one is he? Face. 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 I, know. <laughs> I don't know. I didn't even watch the A-Team when I knew that. <laughs> Dude. Guess, guess uh, who my favorite character on the team was? Murdoch. Damn it, she nailed it. In I, I mean, <laughs> it was right there. It, it did not take much. I mean, if you Mostly had to because it was somebody, my favorite too. And mine? He was the most committed. I do. If it wasn't Hannibal, I'm going to be disappointed. Nailed it in one. <laughs> Hannibal. Yeah. I get it. Love it when a plan comes together. Yeah, you do. So who likes BA then? So, so here's, I guess BA, it's you because we're going to have to play A team now. <laughs> I, I don't know if he was anyone's favorite character, but everyone liked him. Well, they were a really good example of a D&D party style. It was, oh, yeah. it was a very dynamic funny. group. Very Different much talents, so. right? I mean, that's Complete the way you... with the episodic montage sequence. Now, if I was playing the game, <laughs> I would want to play BA. <laughs> BA is a, would be a fun character because to play. Because I don't think I'm capable of being Hannibal. Hannibal would be the hardest character to play in that group. He really would. Hannibal would be my choice. I knew that. <laughs> and see, in my opinion, if you play no, a no. team and a team, if you play yeah. an a team game, then it would have to be Hannibal would have to be the DM. Wait, nah, that wouldn't be any fun. No, I think no, I think it would because the it DM would guide the story. Would the DM but guides the story, sets, the, sets the stage, and tells all the players what to do. Well, but the players have to bring in what they can do to make the plot happen, and then that's how the plot becomes character-based instead of DM-driven. Otherwise, you have a, one guy sitting around telling a story, and the other guy is going, okay, when do I roll my dice? 
Yeah, you wouldn't be able to really get the same narrative style out of A-Team with D&D, for example. But no. you created a gaming experience that actually reflected the A-Team approach. Uh, I, you would definitely want a player to be able to play the guy making the decisions, making the, you know, being in charge. Make, and like get, that, I um, have another playbook idea for my game system. Le- leverage <laughs> is a really interesting example for me because uh, there was a mastermind in the uh, leverage dynamic, and it was definitely a player character in, yeah. in the way it's put together. But they had a mechanic in which you could do f- flashbacks to create your heist scenarios. So you go into it, and then at any given point, you go, okay, we need a thing here, and you Bill and Ted it into play Oh God! using a, 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 back, a flashback mechanic, which was neat because it gave you the illusion of creating exactly what they did in the show, which was you didn't know how they were accomplishing things until they showed you the way they had set things up in flashbacks. It was just kind of a cool mechan- mechanism. Wasn't, wasn't that the whole Oceans gimmick? Um, no. Yes, the, uh, because they didn't explain the scenario until after they were started. Yeah, the that is true. That is true, isn't it? Yes. I mean, they would play it through right up to the point that the heist failed, and yeah. then suddenly they'd show the flashbacks how they set it up to fail while they were brilliantly succeeding behind the scenes. Exactly. And, and those are it's a valid storyline, which thing. comes into... When you build a role play system, you can build a role play system to tell the types of stories using the mechanics of a storytelling. And, and so you follow and you tell a story. D and D is mainly made to tell step A to B, C, D, just straight chronological storytelling. This happened on the adventure, and then we went here and we did this, and this waterfall method. Happened, this we went here triggers this, triggers this, triggers this happened, and yeah, and then there's truth to that, and then there's truth to that. I mean, it's not that you can't vary that up or do different things, but sometimes if you want to get really creative about it, you're going to have to create new mechanics to make it fun. To say that, in your Zeitgeist game, we did flashback scenes. Right. And in other games I've seen, uh, like War of the Burning Sky, we did stuff that was kind of offbeat, and they created new mechanics to accomplish it. You know, I've definitely seen that in there, too. So, okay, so, uh, or or in the Zeitgeist, in the scene where the sequence where they were fighting, um, when you guys were dealing with, I guess Jason's the other one here that was in the game. Uh, for that, for most of it, when you guys are dealing with the criminal, the thieves guild guy, uh, and and you were dealing with taking down his guild piece by piece, right? Remember that. Mm-hmm. And so we had sequences of actions that were being taken in a kind of an abstract way, and this kind of currency that we built up to how much you could accomplish and how successful it would be based on roles that were made. And then that added up to kind of a point system or something where when you got to certain points, you would move on to the next achievement, basically. You know, okay, right. oh, yeah, you've, you've done enough things now where you've managed to wiggle out where the hideout is. And then so you, go, you go there and do this thing. And when your roles are good there, you accomplish this thing that, gives a, that, that creates this reaction from the bad guys. Things like that. Right. And, the, and it was also resource management because we had an allotted yeah. number of... Uh, like personnel, and personnel. Apps. That's all stuff like say, that. Using mm-hmm. resource management to create that risk reward dynamic. That's so cool. if 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 we wanted to save people for a later big thing, we had to risk having lower roles in the early set. So I, I'm going to tell you guys about a character concept because uh, uh, we're looking at starting something new in our uh, Sunday game with with this group. Jason, Rich, and, and Vanessa, and I, and maybe Julia will be playing, and Kid is going to be running it. And so I had an idea for a character, and I, I, I started from kind of a tropey place. And I wanted to talk to you guys about this because I kind of want to pitch this to you. Character tropes? Who does that? I, I kind of wanted to pitch to this to you for a party, if you will. 
because I was thinking about starting with a character who has um, his dad is like a warlord who is uh, doing questionable things is not such a nice guy or he but he believes he's doing things for the right reasons he's got motives that he believes in right a good villain gotcha uh, I wouldn't go that far a definition of a good villain someone who thinks they're doing things for the right a reasons. justified villain Magneto right? that word yeah Magneto yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and I, I was talking to a kid about this because I don't know that I, I would I don't want to hijack his campaign idea because he's already working on setting a campaign idea and I'm not but but I've had people do this to me players do this to me I think I've talked about this for show, before on the show like we did in Sitting Crown Justin came to me and said um, I got this idea for a character who is the general of this army and they've been called back from on campaign they've been gone all these years and they're coming back and, and the king actually was usurped his place was like taken by a new king during that time you know, he had all these ideas for this kind of setup, and it gave me just, as a game master, it just gave me this world of material to work with, right? You know, any time you come up with a player character has got any kind of backstory, it gives you game master stuff to work with. But when you create something that has world-spanning dynamics to it, it is up to you as a game master to determine how much of that you want to affect your setting. But whatever you do, you want to try to support your players and the concept, so you got to work with them for the, the dynamics of that. Right. You know, so Kid and I would talk about this. We talked about this a little bit today. Uh, you know, talk about this kind of where to uh, where to integrate ideas and, and, and what that can do for us. And my idea is, is very much kind of a character who has left home, left, you know, broken from his, his father because he doesn't believe in what his dad did. But to get away because he was being groomed to be his, you know, his lieutenant, his eventual replacement, whatever. In order to get away, he had to take extreme measures like fake his own death, things like that. Interesting. And so he and I was thinking he and his brother had decided to get away from their dad. And so the idea was to set up a situation. I haven't decided what it is to where he thinks where he would think they're, they're dead, where it looked like they didn't survive it. And then, you know, his dad, uh, they're absolving. I'm absolving myself of responsibility for how he reacts to this. He's going to meet out punishment to people. He's going to be upset. He's going to grieve. He's going to do whatever. I'm going to be free. And so I'm going to go out and find a different life, right? But the idea of this is also to build a campaign where the destiny of the character is to end up getting wrapped back up in that again. To where right now his goal isn't let's take down the old man or anything like that, but he's going to have his eyes open to things he didn't know about the things his dad did, the atrocities he's responsible for. That he would come to come into situations where he would come in direct conflict with those things and take a stand and build that up. I think um, I would love to play a character like that. If some or all of the rest of the player characters would be friends, compatriots, people that were part of or in on this, or people that that knew him from before, so that there's a kind of a collective, um, not sense of direction, but a, a collective ability to deal with challenges as a group with a sort of clear vision, if you will. I thought it might be fun. What I see that as being is almost like the friends that he snuck away to hang out with on the streets that helped him get away or something Possibly. like that. Yeah. Or, you know, or, or, or people like I mean, somebody could play the brother, you know, yeah. uh, or, or even servants at the dad. Servants, or, right. <laughs> you know, uh, or, or people, you know, armsmen, anything that, 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 or somebody that represented something different, like was part of a group that, um, say I had been, I had started to start realizing what my dad was doing because somebody else I'd met had started opening my eyes to that by things that they knew, sharing that information that that person turned out to be somebody who could help me get out of the situation. I think there could be a fun ways to play it up. Some, somebody loosely connected to the clergy, but having the freedom to be able to run around and go off. Right, especially if the clergy has a potential to be just as corrupt because it's a bureaucracy or an organization. Kid loves that kind of shit. Oh, yes, I do. Uh, I should <laughs> say just a few words about the setting because that may help kind of set boundaries or narrow ideas. 
Um, the game is taking place in the what was until fairly recently the Mage Republic of Kevin Kevin Holt, Kevin Holt, which was a twenty years previous to that the Empire, the Mage Empire of Kevin Holt. Uh, it reorganized for whatever reason from an empire, probably upon the death or replacement or usurpation of the emperor into a republic. But the process of solidifying into that got interrupted somehow and the whole thing just kind of collapsed under its own weight. And so now you have the typical situation in which people are scrabbling for their peace, as it were. Presumably his warlord father would be one of the more successful of those. I, I like the idea, since I was looking for a cause that he would he would believe in, you know, that he believed is right, uh, particularly the idea if there had been a mage empire, that even if something had happened in other mages, because it became a major public, so other mages had risen up against the emperor or whatever and decided they were going to make a better world for everybody, he wouldn't believe it. Mm-hmm. Mages are corrupt people who always grab for power, and now they're just trying to throw the wool over our eyes. We have to protect ourselves from this. I like that because it's not racially motivated, so it's kind of fun. The other, the other thing that is hugely relevant, considering we're talking about a major republic, or what was almost a major republic, is in this setting, magic only comes from one of three sources. It either comes from the gods, it comes from the plains, or it comes from dragons. And there are no more dragons. So we have to imagine dragons? You can. There are their remnants in various ways, shapes, and forms. I just like their music. I love their music, too. But so if you want to play a character who's tied to tied to dragons, either directly or as a source of magic, you can do that. But keep in mind that the dragons themselves are no more. What about a god pretending to be a dragon? Or like, or, 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 or. (laughs) I'd almost prefer to do that flip wise, but I can work with that too. Or a dragon pretending to be a god. (laughs) Be more like a warlock at that point, probably than a, than a cleric. Those are both options. So the dragons wizards are gone, except <laughs> so wizards, mages would get their power from the plains. Is what you're yes, saying, yeah, basically the mage republic. Most of that magic was derived from the plains. Planar energies. Uh, you have sorcerers generally get their magic from some tie to dragonhood bloodlines, not exclusively, but mostly. And then uh, some warlocks gain their power from packs with some dragon source if not a dragon itself anymore necessarily, something that they left behind. But wizards, for example, all wizardly magic comes from the plains in some way, shape, or form. Interesting. Now I'm really attached to a dragon pretending to be a god. (laughs) 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 The dragons are gone. I'm a god. I don't know what you're talking about. There are no dragons, just gods. Well, it sounds like the kind of thing that, you know, I mean, if you were to play a character like that, would your character know? You know, it's like... Of course not. Yeah. But they might find out. Yeah, yeah. The discovery would be the fun part. That's and interesting. Obviously, any player who wants to give me free little toys to play with that I can set into my uh, setting. I'm okay with giving that to you as a toy. That's what I can do. Whenever <laughs> I do my character backgrounds, uh, oh, whatever I, I write up for I my know character background, that way. <laughs> I always create like three bullet points, and all three bullet points have part of it that either my character doesn't care about or my character doesn't know and needs to discover if they're going to clarify what's going on there. And those are always open-ended pieces. Okay, there's one more caveat I need to throw out now to avoid disappointing or upsetting people farther down the road. There is something about this setting that is currently a secret, a massive secret. And at some point, I will need each player to give me another version of the same character they are playing 
for reasons involving that secret. So keep that in mind. You're going to give us specifics at some point? I will, okay. but not until I have to. Cool. Well, we're also talking about using the level up rules uh, for Advanced 5e from Ian Publishing. Still have to look at. Um, yeah, which I know Richard bought it on the Kickstarter, um, as did I. Uh, kids got to look at them. Um, I have not. And, but you were interested. I am interested. Yeah. We can show you the materials we have so you can kind of take a look at uh, you okay. know, the book and uh, get some ideas. It's it's really good stuff. It's really a lot more options than we're used to. So there's there's definitely things you will kind of want to get a feel for. Most of the rules of the game, the hard-coded rules of 5th edition D&D are intact. You know, so it's not it's not like relearning a new system. It's just kind of getting a feel for what your options are more than anything. And there's a lot of, um, I think, flavor kind of built into it that's interesting. Everyone, Everyone's familiar with how the original, like, three Star Wars movies happened, and then everyone took every single little tiny trivial detail, no matter how small of those movies, and expanded it into its own entire thing, right? That's mostly a thing you saw in the books. In the, mostly, In yes. the expanded universe. But I'm familiar with the fact that it happened. I couldn't tell you any details. That's fine. It was just the fact that it happened. I can. That I okay. Want an because. example? How about this one? Okay, so in uh, Return of the Jedi, we throw, um, unintentionally, throw Boba Fett into a Starlight Pit. Now, we've seen Boba Fett basically twice at this point, of any kind of note. He was there for a decent, I mean, other than some banter with Vader, he was there for a decent firefight uh, in, uh, briefly in uh, Empire. And then he gets thrown into a Starlight Pit, dropped to the, knocked into the Starlight Pit, he dies unceremoniously at the beginning of Return of the Jedi. And somehow, yet, Boba Fett is one of the coolest motherfucking characters ever. Now, at this point, that bothered me. Okay. <laughs> because I couldn't understand, other than the fact that he had a cool-looking helmet, why he was such a cool motherfucker. Because, you know, who cares? He fucking died like a... I mean, okay, anyway. Yeah. So, um, somebody decides they're going to write the Bounty Hunter Wars trilogy. And the Bounty Hunter Wars trilogy involves actually bringing Boba Fett back to life. He didn't actually die in the Starlight Pit. He he exploded it. He, he had, like, after everybody was gone, he had a thermal detonator or some shit. He exploded it, he got out of there, he crawled out, what was left of him crawled out, someone came across him, decided to take him somewhere and kind of treat him a little bit and, and, and help him, you know, recover, and there you have more Boba Fett. Okay. But the interesting about this is in the middle of this, you find out that now keep in mind that what we knew about the sarlacc was what jabba said or what you know what c3po interpreted what jabba said about the sarlacc at the beginning of jedi it is you know we go to the dune sea it is there it is blah 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 you know you digest through its system for a thousand years painfully whatever but in the book somebody decided you know what the sarlacc is actually a monster that spreads over the entire underneath the dune sea it is this massive creature that goes everywhere because we can't come up with original shit. We just have to redigest the ideas from the movies and make them something bigger. Fair. You know, okay, so let's... I understand where sometimes this is about having fun with it, right? Sometimes about having fun. Like, okay, we had a Rancor in Jedi. Wouldn't it be fun to have a planet where the Rancors come from? Yeah, it just makes them a lot less special at that point because, you know, there's a whole fuck ton of Rancors suddenly. Yeah, every little thing, every little th- detail you could come up with. It's just like turning the I love you, I know thing from you know, Empire because um, Harrison Ford just liked that line. So he just, you know, threw it out there and they said, can we use this? He said, yeah, let's use that. Okay. You know, I know. And uh, suddenly that's like their thing, right? Everywhere in every book, Han and Leia are always, yeah, I love you, I know, I love you, I know. I mean, it's just it's just that thing, right? Okay, I could get if it's if it's a cute thing that a couple says to each other or whatever because it's kind of their thing but this was about exploiting it because it gets the fangirls which includes me giggling over it okay so the fan support <sighs> and han solo makes one toss i felt pretty off. girly by then han solo makes one toss off line about he's the the millennium falcons the ship that did the kessel run in 
4.6 parsecs. And later we get an entire 12. novel about this, about how that happened and how it's even. Yeah. So I guess I have an ex that had like three bookcases worth of Star Wars books. So mm-hmm. like, yeah. Yeah. It was all, all that shit was yeah. there. This turned into much more of a thing than I intended. But I, w- I said that just to say that basically level up does the same thing to 5th edition D&D. It takes everything in 5th edition D&D and expands it into its own entire novel. <laughs> just my quick note. The one Star Wars book I read was a book on CD. And so I was very frustrated when the new movies came out and Jason Solo wasn't a thing. Oh, we feel your pain. So many sir. ways. Because Jason and Jaina and young Anakin were I definitely a big part of our life show up, for a while. And but, then he didn't. I'm not I'm not bitching about and that. Don't though. get me started I'm not on Mara Jade. I yeah. Okay. Um I, I loved I loved what they did but with the that's movies because I'm when weird you like that. Gaming groups so, and you have a you new know. DM. Oh, perfect analogy. Oh, wow. That's that's badass actually. DM except it affects like six people. So uh, Disney <laughs> is the, Disney is the DM that ruined the game for all of us. Disney doesn't break Fuck things. Just noise. ask Disney. Ha ha ha. <laughs> so we should you know talk about that yes. i just kind of want to share with you my idea because there is an archetype in there that's very strong the whole the, the you know the villain is my daddy you know archetype or um you know i'm i'm trying to be the good son with my with my parents the villain trope uh, which is actually a little skywalker isn't it trope, trope, trope. Um, yes anyway although yes, backwards because <laughs> i know about it going in I, it's, I just thought it'd be a, a fun thing to kind of play with. And when I thought about it, I was only thinking about it for my character, but then I thought how much more, not just fun for everybody, it could be if we have a really good reason to be tied together, but we can also use that as a way to organize what we're doing. Because my character, I, I'm going to go ahead and focus on making him a natural leader like his dad. Not necessarily, I don't necessarily mean the face character. I just mean somebody who is, like I'll, I was thinking about looking at, they have a class in the um, in the level up called the Marshal. And a lot of its abilities are support related kind of, it's you know just it, it in terms of like combat and stuff, and I thought this isn't the way I was thinking about my character and the way he feels, but it might be a fun way to explore the character in terms of the role in the story. But that's only if that's something everybody's interested in in buying into, because I don't necessarily want you guys to think I'm also trying to take over the narrative. Fair. I think it's fun. Yeah, sounds cool to me. And um, I mean. It just as you as a player in a game is kind of fun to play with and yeah, if it'll get you in the game I'm in there uh, we'll see <laughs> that sounded like a really backwards way of explaining acceptance obviously we don't have much to talk about for this game yet but we will obviously very soon so um, we didn't get a lot of gaming in recently so there just no. wasn't a lot to discuss no uh, Tuesday we, we canceled this week but like last week we did zombies question mark uh, where uh, wherein kids' character tried to take on an entire horde of zombies. They were in your head. That was entertaining. His Stop head. it. <laughs> now it's in her head. Uh, <laughs> With their tanks and their bombs. Stop it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, we're good. Zombies. <laughs> uh, so, Stop. I'm curious to see how it goes, you know, just because it's always fun to start something new and see if we can actually make it. Make it stick. Uh, if you'd like to be part of the conversation, uh, share anything with us, you'd like us to read on the show, feel free to drop us a line. Feedback at prismaticsunami.com. That's feedback at prismaticsunami.com. Uh, or you can uh, drop by our Discord channel and uh, talk to us there. We'd like that too. Or somtees.shop. Don't talk to us there. Just order tea. It's good. It's all good. It's all good. It's so all good. good. It's Some really of it is all more good. than good. Some of it's more than good. That uh, maybe the lapsap snowchung. I like it. That's one like of my favorites. Drinking it's very fire. Mild. It is my favorite. It is so good. See, and now we understand why our movie opinions diverge so much. Because of lapsap snowchung. Because you drink liquid smoke for a living, and you're afraid of it. Oh my god.
Uh, let's see. Go ahead and uh, get on out of here for today. Thank you very much for joining us for uh, Metagamers Anonymous. My name is Eric. I'm Jason. I'm Rich. I'm Vanessa. I'm the kid. Ha, 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 ha.